Hi everyone, welcome to Crime Science. In this podcast, we aim to explore the science of crime and the practical application of the science for loss prevention and asset protection practitioners, as well as other professionals. Co-hosts Dr. Reed Hayes of the Loss Prevention Research Council and Tom Meehan of Control Tech discuss a wide range of topics with industry experts, thought leaders, solution providers, and many more. In this episode, we review the intersection of law enforcement and LPAP by identifying common crime issues, how best to map and pattern those problems, and the most effective platforms to utilize with our featured guests, Detectives Ryan Macasio and Nicholas Ferrara. We would like to thank Bosch for making this episode possible. Take advantage of the advanced video capabilities offered by Bosch to help reduce your shrink risk. Integrate video recordings with point-of-sale data for visual verification of transactions and exception reporting. Use video analytics for immediate notification of important AP-related events, and leverage analytics metadata for fast forensic searches for evidence and to improve merchandising and operations. Learn more about extending your video system beyond simple surveillance in Zones 1 through 4 of LPRC's Zones of Influence by visiting Bosch online at BoschSecurity.com. All right, welcome everybody to another episode of the Crime Science Podcast. Um, Today we're joined by uh, two special guests from the Gainesville Police Department uh, from investigations from CID. Detective Sergeant Nick Ferrara and Detective Ryan Macasio. Um, and these two gentlemen, we've had the uh, pleasure to work with quite a bit here in Gainesville, Florida, um, doing research, getting to know uh, what they're up to, how they work, but always having a resource in, uh, of experts that we can go to and ask them about, ask them questions. What do you think of this? What's going on there? Have you seen this? What are we missing? So, because as you all know, we're always trying to stay grounded that. Um, while we uh, are trying to conduct the most rigorous research we can, we want to make sure that it's grounded in LP principles. But I'm also, of course, joined, as always, by uh, my co-host, Tom Meehan, from, uh, the chief strategy officer from Control Tech. So today what we thought we'd talk about uh, is a little bit about the public-private interface and uh, how law enforcement and loss prevention and asset protection can work together to understand uh, what's going on, who, what, when, where, why, and how, but most importantly, do something about it. And I think we've all learned that loss prevention can't do it by themselves and, and neither can law enforcement. We've got to work together. Um, so I thought, you know, right now, um, as we speak, in the last six months, what are some of the biggest uh, theft and fraud issues that we're dealing with here in North Central Florida? And I'll go to you, uh, Sergeant Nick, first. Well, number one, I'd say thanks for having us. Uh, it's always a pleasure to work with you guys. Um, but as far as to answer that question, for a university town, we, uh, we get a taste of pretty much everything you see at a national level. Um, we have organized retail crime groups that hit us. We have, uh, I mean, you, you name it, whether it's skimmers, uh, you know, credit card fraud, uh, just anything as far as just major theft groups. Uh, we've had people with South American origins, Romanian origins. So, you know, international groups are hitting us uh, locally, plus, you know, all the stuff that we have to deal with that originates online, over the phone, um, you name it, you know, whether it's email compromise with businesses, um, it, it runs a gamut with us, and it, and it keeps us very, very busy. So let's talk about on-the-ground crime. Um, and you mentioned from out-of-country and out-of-state and out-of-city. Um, you know, what's what's a major pathway and reason that Gainesville would be hit, say, to, compared to another location? 
you know, I would say we have a pretty diverse community here. You know, we are obviously home to the University of Florida, so we do have a lot of young people that are susceptible to being victimized. Um, you know, I don't know the exact figures on our senior citizen population, but for whatever reason, it just seems like we we probably run consistent with national averages. I mean, I can't really say if we're above national average with certain uh, offenses, but they, I mean, they definitely target us, particularly the students. But, you know, as far as the scams and stuff like that, where people feel like, oh, it's just the young people that are targeted or it's, it's uh, you know, some of the younger fo- or actually older folks or the elderly population. No, it, it, I've seen PhD students and then I've seen 95 year old people hit with the same scam. So it doesn't matter. Now, there's a lot there, too. And uh that uh, the bad guys are always, 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 always trolling for opportunities. And it sounds like young people, people that are relying on their parents' money or some kind of loan money, uh, and then, of course, the elderly that may be vulnerable for a, a lot of reasons. So that makes sense. And let me go over to you, uh, Detective Macasio to Ryan, and uh, ask you from your standpoint, what is uh, something that pops out right now that's happening that you're, you feel like it, it's on a trend, an upward trend? Uh, once again, I want to mirror what Sergeant Farrar, thank you, Dr. Hayes, for having us here. It's a great opportunity for us. Um, always love working with you guys. What we're seeing is, you know, with it being a college town, like Sergeant Farrar said, it's we're seeing such an increase uh, in retail space, period. Um, you have the whole Butler Plaza area and such like that here where retail businesses are coming in uh, hand over fist here in Gainesville. Um, and all that retail space that we're seeing is right off I-75, which is an easy on-off um, for these out-of-state groups, out-of-country groups, just to get right into Gainesville and get off right before right before we even get called. Um, but one of the major things we're seeing lately is um, the cell phone thefts uh, of the display phones. Um, over the past two months, we've had four or five cases of three or four individuals coming in and literally snatching thousands of dollars worth of uh, display phones out of our various stores. Um, and they're so quick that when you watch the video, they're in and out within a minute and a half, two minutes. And it's a very organized, very planned out operation that, they, that these bad guys are carrying out. Um, it's unreal and surreal when you see them. They're mapping out the areas. They're parking away from the areas. They're um, doing you know, surveillance, counter-surveillance. It's quite interesting, and um, it's a trend that we're seeing upward. And, you know, a couple of videos we've seen from other agencies, these people are starting to get violent, too, when a clerk or somebody goes to stop them. So it's a, it's a disturbing trend we're seeing here in Gainesville. So maybe describe, if you would, uh, Ryan, uh, what you've seen on video or heard from witnesses. What's that theft look like when it goes down? They may be scouted. They're doing counter-surveillance. They're parking a little bit away. But let's say once they hit the door— to the, uh, going in, and then they hit the door going out. What are they doing? What are their tactics? So what we're seeing um, from most agencies, you know, um, I've been working hand-in-hand with Sumner County because we can actually tell when they're coming up this way. I'll get a, typically get an email from other agencies. Um, but it's usually a group of two to three to four people that will come in. Um, they'll be dressed very oddly. This last group that hit us, it was 98 degrees here, and they are all wearing hooded sweatshirts and, and hats. Um they all go. Um, they do a quick scout of the store to see where the staff is. Um, then the party will go to mostly iPhone displays, and um, they'll sit there and pretend they're playing with the iPhones, and then they'll give each other a signal, and they'll just 
yank as hard as they can all the display phones. They'll grab four or five each at a time and yank them all and then run right out right out the door into an awaiting car. Okay. And I know one of our members, we have you know, Sprint, T-Mobile, Verizon, and so on that are our members. And one of them sent us a picture the other day of a guy running out with the entire display. It almost looked like he was carrying a surfboard, uh, but the entire display rack full of phones. Not to, I'm not surprised by that at all. Um, we haven't had that yet. What we're seeing is mostly them damaging the displays, um, ripping the cords right out of the walls. Um, and it's funny because, you know, you figure they're running with these handful of phones and they would drop something, but they're so professional at this and so on point with this that we haven't been able to get anything to follow up on with these guys. Interesting. And let me just add to that, you know, what I've noticed, and I think a lot of these groups were hitting them, let's say, after hours, um, where they smash out a window, run in, just grab whatever they want. You know, there's no protection there. But, you know, I think a lot of these businesses are catching on, particularly like the Verizon right, right by the interstate. You know, they have the roll-down doors. So now that they're doing target hardening, they're not doing the late-night uh, burglaries. They're going in during the normal hours now where, the you know, obviously they can walk in now where, you know, everything's accessible. And then they have to deal with other customers, you know, the other employees there. But like you said, the last one we watched, uh, it was very well-coordinated. They all stood, you know, at what they wanted, and it was almost simultaneous. They all snatched at the same time and ran out as opposed to, you know, one was keying off another. I mean, it was it was pretty well coordinated. Well, and this kind of leads us to the reason we're even having this particular episode, and that is, all right, you, you describe crime displacement, the one store that's close to the interstate, easy in and out, um, and then they target harden. So they don't abandon the store. Maybe they do a little while, but now they're going to use a different tactic, right? They're going to hit by day and, that, and so forth, that crime displacement. But um, that's why it seems like this Orca here and others are critical, and we'll talk about that in a little bit, to share that. Okay, guys, here's what we're just – we're seeing this now. Here's what's happening in much more real time so the guys can get on it and get ahead of it even from time to time. You know, and, I, and one real quickly, you mentioned I-75. Um, can you guys describe to the listeners what Felony Lane people are, who they are, and why the name Felony Lane? So – this I don't know how long this group's been around, but I've been in law enforcement now for 15 years. Nick's been in 22, 23 years. But um, over the past few years, these felony lane groups is basically it's a, it's a organized gang, and that's why they named it Felony Lane Gang, FLG. Um, what they'll do typically they'll come into a um, a town, college town, or any other town. Um, they'll go to easy targets, gyms, um, parks. Um, Places where people, you know, are just running in and out of the store or going like that, where they'll leave maybe a book bag or something in the car. Um, they'll usually typically take rental cars, um, newer rental cars. They'll tint the windows. Um, and what they do is after that, they'll smash out the window of a, of a Target car. They'll take, just grab the credit cards and um, checks and stuff like that out of the car. Um, and they'll, what they'll do is why they'll call the Felony Land Gang is um, – They'll go to a bank immediately to do uh, some type of uh, check withdrawal, ATM withdrawal, but they typically go to the furthest line away from the teller um, to make that deposit. And what they'll do is they'll 
uh, maybe go pick up a um, homeless person or a um, you know a drug abuser. They'll dress them in a wig. They'll make them look like the individual on a driver's license. So with them being so far away from the clerk, the clerk has a hard time seeing out there. Then they'll go cash a check or they'll do an ATM withdrawal. They'll do uh, just a basic bank withdrawal and, and drive away. Um, and after that, they'll go and meet um, their, their other people that um, they're giving them the money and they'll maybe give the person $50 out of a $3,000 withdrawal that they just made from a person's uh, uh, bank account. Just uh, I know it's a rough, rough estimate, uh, but what percent of, say, Felony Lane Gang or others that you're seeing up here this far north are maybe from Dade County? <laughs> 99.9%. The 305? Yeah. Okay. Um, the majority of them are from the South Florida area. Um, we And typically, you know, I know Nick does too, and I follow our Southern Florida. We follow the Felony Lane Gang stuff on Facebook and other areas. And, um, you know, they're making arrests in Montana and that far up north of people from South Florida. And it's ironic our street address here is 305. So um, let me go to uh, uh, my co-host, Tom. Tom, what are some questions and comments? Yeah, I I guess my first question is specific to cell phones because that seems to be a trend throughout the United States. Um, where, where are you seeing these phones going? Do you see them going overseas? Are they being sold individually? Is it a mix? Is there some sort of trend that you're actually seeing? So from what I understand, um, you know, I, I haven't had the luxury of interviewing any of these suspects yet. Um, but from what I understand and what I've heard is that a lot of these, uh, phones are going overseas. Um, they'll bring them back down to wherever they'll have a uh, fence down wherever they, um, wherever they're from, usually Orlando, Tampa, Miami area. And um, that fence will then send them overseas. Um, I don't know the whole workings of that. I, I wish I had more on that. But um, typically they're going overseas because these uh, companies are pretty good about getting us the um, serial numbers and IMI numbers and such like that so we can put them into our crime database so they won't be able to be activated. So they have to be doing something with them from there. Uh, from my experience, you know, a lot of these, let's say, a snatch and grab involving a juvenile or a young adult, you know, isolated incidents, yeah, some of those may show up like at a pawn shop. But these organized groups that take thousands, you know, several thousands of dollars worth, you know, like Ryan said, a lot of them will show up or get sent overseas because, you know, they're worth more over there. Plus, you know, nobody's going to show up at a, at a pawn shop knowing that we're going to enter all those serial numbers into the system and they're going to hit off of the FCIC, NCIC so, as stolen. So they're smart. They know how to maximize their profits. Interesting. So let me uh, ask you, what are some tools to help establish control, let's say, in the city of Gainesville? Um, You know, we mostly talk about establishing some kind of control in your parking lot and store. Um, And I know that you all are looking at different tech and sharing. uh, And one thing that comes to mind is LPL, you know, license plate lookup, license plate recognition. Can you guys tell me about what are some things that we should know about that technology, the strengths and benefits, and maybe some things, some opportunities to improve it? Well, I, uh, I'm the one that is tasked with moving our single trailer right now. We're working on getting additional trailers. Uh, I've heard, I, I don't know if it's St. John's County, supposedly has upwards of 100 uh, different tag readers. And just the amount of information you get from them is just unbelievable. Um, you know, you'll get you get notifications. I mean, if nobody's or if people are not too familiar with them, it looks like a, a uh, 
like a speed trailer to where it's just showing your, your radar speed and people slow down, but at the same time, it's also capturing your tag and just using that information and where it's recorded. And then it could be shared amongst all agencies that are on the same system. Um, I mean, it's great for being reactive immediately, I guess, if like, let's say somebody has their computer on and the program is loaded properly to where, let's say, a stolen car whips by it and they know that tag reader is close by, they can immediately respond. And, and that's happened a few times with us. Even with just one, we've gotten a pretty good amount of stolen vehicles, uh, expired tags, which you know, are not expired tags, but like, let's say, a stolen tag that usually shows up on a stolen car. But, um, but historically, I think that the data is probably more important there because, you know, just for example, you find out that you know, a certain vehicle was involved in, let's say, skimming or credit card fraud or check fraud. And then you know that vehicle, even if it's a rental, um, maybe traveling, you can research that tag and you can pretty much see, you know, as long as it's hitting off a reader. And like, if it's out in the rural area, there's no readers, you're not going to get anything. But if it's hitting an area that has a good amount of tag readers, you can track exactly where that car has been. I mean, then you can set... You can set it up to where you you can be notified once that car you put it like set a geofence to where like all right I know this car is going to eventually make it into the area and do crimes the next time it comes in I want to be notified and when it comes in to that area that geofence that you set you can get notified and like all right you can put everybody on high alert that it's there so I mean it's it's a fantastic tool and just to kind of build on what Sergeant Farrar said you know if we enter a tag in what they call a hot plate um, it'll notify other agencies too so. Um, with this last cell phone grab, I entered a vehicle and it was a hot plate. And lo and behold, I, I get information from out of Tampa that this vehicle was found down in Tampa, but it was returned already. And it, but the vehicle, of course, was rented under fraudulent pretenses. But um, so things like that, it's it's data sharing. It's um, getting that information out there, letting other people know, hey, you know, this ve this vehicle was uh, used in this crime in the city of Gainesville. Please be on the lookout for it. You know, um, get what we can out of it. But you give, you know, our resident wizard here, Sergeant Ferrara, a tag um, with all the programs and stuff we have now. We have a very, very, very high likelihood of, of coming to some type of case resolution with that. Oh, that's interesting. <clears throat> and we were up at NYPD a while back, and they were showing what they're doing, of course, with tag readers across bridges and tunnels at first initially. And then now you see patrol vehicles everywhere with these cameras mounted on them on top of the stationary ones that are all over the place so that they, like you say, have a lot more situational awareness. And even now when an officer pulls a vehicle over, um, that comes up on their screen, everything that the, they know about that vehicle, who all's owned it, uh, who's maybe been spotted in it, where all it's been, uh, you know, whatever. A lot of things that could be mission critical for officer safety. Um, and so there's some interesting things that can be done. But it's, it's exciting what's going on so that we have that situational understanding. Yeah. And, I mean, just even to add on to that, you know, because I'm, I'm all about tools in your toolbox and, and making connections and networking. And uh, I would say the SunPass data is fantastic. You know, it's one thing to read a tag. But in order to get those, uh, I guess, face shots of the windshield, even at night, we've gotten pictures back to where you can actually make an ID off of who's in that the front seat on how clear it is. So, I mean, it's technology is helping us out yeah, big so time. So turnpike cameras. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Okay. I see intersection cameras, things like that coming into play. 
Tom, any questions or comments around technology? Yeah, I think uh, probably the reverse is so with all of the, the the rapid changes in technology, what are some of the technologies that the bad guys are using that are making life difficult for you as law enforcement? I know Reed and I talk about that regularly. You know, we talk heavily about what technologies out there that can help deter or help catch people, but we also talk a lot about countermeasures because uh, the folks out there today are more advanced than ever. So I know that's a long-winded question, but if you could put a finger on either one of you, what's a technology today that makes your job more difficult? Uh, and maybe it's a hybrid. Maybe it makes your more job more difficult sometimes and easier other times. Besides, you know, like retail theft and whatnot, you know, we deal with a lot of these scams that are either you know, start out over the phone, whether it's uh, phishing emails. And technology is doing nothing but help these guys, you know, as far as create layers between us and them. You know, they're using proxy servers to where you think, oh, okay, you know, we finally got the IP address back on somebody. And the next, you know, it hit one server and then goes through another server and another, you know, so they're distancing themselves. You know, we've talked to our ICAC people that there's actually businesses out there that will you pay for a service to mask your IP address. And it's, it's just insane that this goes on. But that, a lot of our suspects are using burner phones, using fake information to start the phones, uh, uh, voice over IP phones. I mean, so it's, there, and a lot of these numbers, you know, we'll, you'll see them that they're being shared or wholesale, you know, between different services to where it's like a rabbit hole to try to eventually get to the actual owner of the phone. And then a lot of times it just, you hit a dead end to where you're not getting a real person who owned this. So they're doing quite a bit just to conceal who they are. And just to build on that too, you know, social media has kind of been one of our best friends and worst enemies when it comes to combating crime. Um, Back in the day, you used to have your fences or what used to be your brick-and-mortar stores. Uh, not so much anymore. You're not seeing much of them. You know, you can go online, set up a false profile on any of these uh, swip swap sites, and lo and behold, here you are, uh, mule and stolen goods, fence and stolen goods. And, uh, you know, it's, it's a complete mystery of who that person is because you can go on there, grab a Gmail or ever, any type of uh, email account you want to set up this, uh, this profile and then start selling and then – once that profile gets hot, as we'll call it, um, just close down that profile, and uh, it's it's just it's a ghost person. You know, we never know who that person is because you could just pull a, any picture you want off the internet and put it as your profile pic. But we do have a lot of companies, um, offer up being one of them, that is combating that type of uh, that type of uh, illegal fencing on on their websites, and they're probably one of the easiest ones to work with. But there's just so many of them out there, and you know, instant messages and stuff like that. It's just. It's getting it's getting a little tougher to find the uh, where all this all this supply is going when when it's stolen from this area. It was interesting you mentioned, by the way, offer up there uh, an LPRC member um, as our Amazon and eBay and some others, but um, they are very active with us. They get on the organized retail crime working group calls and. Um, you know, they're very supportive in that way as well. Yeah, I was definitely hoping to give them a plug during this interview. Because, uh, <laughs> okay. Yeah, I mean, I appreciate everything they're yeah. doing. They're, they're, they're at the conferences we go to. They, okay. they built a partnership with Leads Online to where, you know, not only can we go through the OfferUp portal, but we actually just do things right through Leads Online, okay. uh, which is the, the pawn system that we use. But, you know, plus a safe space um, program that they have and, you know, all, all the efforts that they're making to okay. to prevent, you know, crime 
through their site. So I got to hand it to them. They, they do a great job. So um, we, you mentioned skimmers earlier, um, and I know you all work with the University of Florida's College of Engineering. They're fixed, the Florida um, cybersecurity team here. And, uh, of course, they're, they've come up with their Skim Reaper technology. They keep improving that. We get emails and calls all the time, requests for it. I know they've spun off a company and, and they're starting to manufacture them now. But maybe if you could tell us a little bit about skimmers and shimmers that you all have come across and what those dynamics look like. I would say uh, we do have a skimmer problem, um, you know, just from experience, uh, looking at some of the national fraud networks that we're a part of, uh, these people that are hitting all over the country are hitting here in Gainesville. Um, so, you know, we'll get them on the ATMs. Uh, we recently had uh, actually a pretty significant arrest, and he's actually sitting in jail right now. I won't throw his name out there. But uh, he was from a Brazilian group that was just hitting all over Florida and Southeast United States for probably up over a million dollars. But uh, they were targeting, I want to say it was SunTrust. Um, but, you know, we get the skimmers uh, in the gas pumps, most of those. I mean, we've, we've pulled off, I would say on average, maybe five to seven per year, but we've been doing pretty good uh, the last couple of years. But Florida is, you know, particularly South Florida is huge as far as the number of skimmers that have been pulling off of gas pumps down there. Um, and not to throw a certain group under the bus, but apparently, I've, when I've been told by the Department of Agriculture, a lot of it has to do with uh, this this Cuban crime wave, and a lot of it has to do with uh, just the purchase of diesel gasoline in, in in South Florida. You know, are some of those numbers sold online on you know the dark web? Possibly, but I think a lot of it is to acquire uh, diesel gas that they'll buy, you know, in bladder trucks and whatnot. It's just, it's a huge industry here and in Texas, from what I've been told. But, the, you know, basically, just building off what Sergeant said, it's um, it's funny, you know, you see you see a skimmer one day, and then you're like, okay, you know, we can, we have the technology to defeat this. And then, lo and behold, the very next day, there's now a new technology that, um, this, the bad people are using to uh, imp- implement these skimmers or, you know, uh, put install these skimmers. You know, we've gone to a couple of conferences, Sergeant Farrar and I, and th- where you talk to um, have the live offender interviews, and they're saying it takes them a matter of minutes to put a skimmer on a pump, and their technology is outpacing our technology vastly. Um, and it's just to the point now where, it's we know it is, and we're trying to keep up the best we can as a not a not in the Gainesville Police Department, but law enforcement community in general. Um, but it's just it, from the generation one skimmers to whatever generation we're up to now. It's just we're always seems to be one step behind on those. Yeah, I mean, old days, you know, everything was stored on a flash drive on, on a on the actual skimmer that was internally mounted. You know, the next generation comes out, all right, Bluetooth. So they don't even have to go back and get it. They can be within 100 feet from it and download all the information. Now it's, you know, they have a SIM card installed on it. And as soon as the information's skimmed, it's texted anywhere in the world. So it's just unbelievable how how much the technology for them has progressed uh, over the years. And, I mean, it's to the point where these guys are writing their own programs, creating their own phone apps. I mean that's they got smart people working for them, and it's 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 just amazing. So, 
Um, I'll go back over to you, uh, Tom, for your questions. Yeah, I mean, you guys, it's a, I have so many questions, but I, I want to kind of narrow it down with, especially related around technology and the technology service providers. You mentioned leads online and you mentioned, you know, how people are cooperating. You know, overwhelmingly, I, I travel quite a bit and, and um, I work uh, in a, a little bit more of a consultant field than I did years ago. And I'm hearing kind of an overarching comment of technology service providers not cooperating with retails because of privacy concerns. So, uh, and, and assembly also not cooperating with law enforcement, uh, even with subpoenas, sometimes trying to uh, quash them. Are you seeing that? Is that more driven by media or is that actually, are you seeing that in your investigations today? Huh. I, I haven't run into much of an issue um, with that, but there are hoops and uh, that are, some of these companies are making us jump through that don't need to be there. And I understand it's a protection thing uh, for their company. But, um, you know, certain companies, uh, I won't say any in particular, but there are certain companies when, say, you – I don't know if this kind of goes along with your question, but if they're a victim of a crime, it takes them two weeks to get us the video um, because they're – camera system is stored off-site somewhere and has to be accessed by a uh, IT person off-site somewhere, and then they get that information back to us. Um, so that's kind of a, a challenge because now you're working on a case that was hot. Now it's two weeks cold, um, and now you're backtracking for two weeks instead of uh, having something immediate. Um, and then there's other places that you know are a victim of a crime, and um, even though that company is the victim of a crime, they want you to give them a subpoena for the, their own in-house video, which is challenging for us, too, because now, you know, it takes a couple hours now to get a subpoena, which back in the day was a lot longer than that. But still, you know, it, stuff like that, hoops like that makes it harder for us when we have a hot lead to keep that lead hot and have it go cold in two weeks. Yeah, I, I mean, just to echo what he said, um, yeah, I've seen it. There, We have with the collaboration that we have between a lot of the local retailers and businesses, you know, I would say the ones that are very cooperative and, you know, shoot an email to like, Hey, we're working this case that obviously you guys reported to us, or even if it's something that's, you know, they don't even know they're involved, but we'll ask for assistance. Like, Hey, can you look up this case report number? Try to, or um, this credit card number, try to find a, a transaction for us and send us uh, photos of the person that was standing at the register, you know, it means a lot to us that they can shoot us a picture, you know, within whether it's a couple hours or a day, as opposed to you have to fill out this seven page corporate form that's going to get sent off and you may get something back in two months. It's like, well, the chance of that latter example getting solved quickly or even at all is much lower than, you know, you got something in your email. I mean, we have some of our LPs cell phone numbers that, they'll shoot us stuff on our, you know, text message. So, I mean, the quicker that information, the easier that information comes to us, the better chance and the faster those, those incidents or crimes are going to be solved. So let's talk about the ORCA, the Organized Retail Crime Groups, um, anti-ORC groups like we've got here in Gainesville. And, you know, as you know, we work all around the U.S., even outside the U.S., but uh, 
uh, the, I've seen different orcas that are different sizes, but I don't think I've ever seen one that's more collaborative and cooperative than this one that you all have going on. What are some secrets you think? What, how do you guys work? Um, and any, any tips you could give somebody else that's looking at making one or making one better? So we do have a very great, strong orca group here. Um, it is probably one of the most collaborative um, efforts I've ever seen between a retailer and, and, and law enforcement. Um, like Sergeant Farrar was saying, we can literally have a theft from a store that's part of our orca group. They'll immediately send us a picture. Um, once they send us a picture, Sergeant Farrar and I will go to work on that picture or um, whatever they have. Um, and we have a very high clearance rate in our, in our retail side of crimes. Um, and But we they, we do it in reverse. If we have something, if we're investigating something, we can send that information out to our ORCA group, and they'll get us that information within hours or a day or so. And it just makes our job that much easier. But, you know, I, I don't – to me, it's just it's just – building that relationship you know we're we're out here we're combating the same thing um i know as a consumer as a personal consumer that you know i have a guy out here stealing stuff um most retailers aren't going to eat that cost the cost is going to drive up for the consumers and that kind of what drives me you know i'm a cop with two kids and a wife you know what i mean i don't want to spend any extra money that i have to um but it, it really helps um because it's kind of a, a, a symbiotic relationship between us and them because you know they're helping us get our job done, and we're helping them cl clear cases. Um, but it's just, you know, we meet quarterly. Um, we, we talk to each other on the phone. Um, if they have a problem, they can call either me or Sergeant Ferraro. We can, you know, work out um, some details to try to maybe resolve a crime or a crime trend they're seeing. Um, you know, we, ha we do have a lot of uh, leeway when it comes to that, which is good, too. Um, and it's just one of those things that with in Gainesville here, we're seeing such a vast increase of retail is that a group like this is needed because, you know, we have all these different groups coming from out of town and, you know, it's only a matter of time before, you know, we'll see an increase in violence or something and we want to take the steps to prevent that from happening. Um, and I think that's kind of a real good reason why we have this close worker group here. Yeah, I mean, we're on, um, on your feed, you know, we're in that listserv um, scenario with you all and uh, so myself and the other researchers here and, and it's amazing i mean you know all day every day through the weekend at night somebody will hey this just happened boom you guys jump on it other guys are jump the retailers are jumping on it it's it's a thing of beauty i mean it's amazing how collaborative everybody is yeah it's i mean one thing that i've kind of gathered from talking to some of the lps that you know let's say are over other stores that have to work with other law enforcement and they're always so complimentary of how receptive, how open, how quick we are. Uh, we don't just like, ah, this is just retail theft. We don't, we don't care. You know, we both know a lot of these offenders are involved in robberies, burglaries, drugs, you know. So it's not just a matter of somebody stealing a pack of gum. We, we know there's a much bigger issue here. So, you know, my heart was always in retail because I worked for Burdines growing up, uh, going to college here at UF. So LP's always been, you know, near and dear to me. But, again, I, I work with these guys. Um, I love the chase. You know, I, I like using the tools that we have. Um, every picture I get or, or report that comes across my desk, I see it as a challenge. And, you know, and, and it's like I want to get this guy. I want to outsmart them. And, and the other thing I guess, you know, I wanted to say was a lot of this stuff, because of the collaboration we have, 
we'll get information that they'll give to us first. And it's not even a report that's taken. You know, we'll get something from whether it's Kohl's or Walmart, like, hey, I'm not exactly sure what this is, but here's the information that we got. Uh, if you guys, you know, are, have seen these people or what or whatnot. And, you know, a lot of times it starts out with just starting running tags and looking at faces and like, all right, this person's involved in passing stolen card or um, stolen cat, sorry, counterfeit cash. Um, you know, they're involved in credit card fraud. I mean, so a lot of these things, you know, grow from nothing into something pretty big. So, I mean, I, I can't get over just how pleased I am with how things are running uh, with our ORCAP group. Yeah, we've, we've had small things where the LP will have that feeling in their stomach, like something's not right here. This guy's come in and cashed $15,000 worth of gift cards in the past month. I, we're not losing any money, but this might be something you guys want, want to look into. And then lo and behold, it's a, you know, it's a big case that, you know, here we are and the FBI is involved and the secret service and everything else. But um, just that cooperation, um, cooperation we get with these retailers is, is irreplaceable. Fantastic. All right. So, uh, Tom, any other questions or comments or suggestions? Yeah, I mean, I so we, we always talk about partnership, and I think, Reed, you and I talk, I, every time we're in an ORC conversation, partnership comes up and the importance of information sharing. You know, for the listeners, and our listeners are broad, we have law enforcement, we have academic, we have uh, loss prevention. Is there one thing that cripples cripples you guys? If, if you could say to someone listening right now, if you do this one thing, we're guaranteed to not be able to help you what would that be? And maybe it's two things. I mean, often when I go to law enforcement uh, conferences, people talk about partnership and talk about you know some of the privacy concerns and some of the subpoena issues. But for you in Gainesville, I, I can tell just by talking to you guys that you're extremely engaged in the community and are willing to help. But is there is there advice that you could give folks out there that, hey, if you do this one thing, you're guaranteed to damage the relationship or cripple an investigation? So it's funny, you know, because Sergeant Farrar and I talk about this quite often. Um, you know, these cases come down to one thing most of the time. It's not what you know, it's who you know. Um, networking is probably our most, our number one way of coming to a case resolution. Um, you know, we go to different conferences. We go to Impact. We go to um, conferences around the state. And when we're there, we're handing out cards, we're talking to people, we're getting to know people. Oh, you work for this company. Oh, you work for this company. And if I can go directly to that person to get something I need, I have such a higher percent of solving this case where if you just want to you know, go to a conference and learn, not network, not talk to anybody, um, you're going to hinder not only the LPs. Uh, chance of resolving a crime, but you're, as a law enforcement officer, your chance of resolving a crime as well, because you may not know what you, you don't know what you don't know until you don't know it, if that makes sense. Yeah. Huge point, huge point about contacts. And I know at Flea Pru, um, you know, I went one time and made an incredible amount of contacts and met two detectives from Ocala Police Department. And um, within 60 days, a guy, and I won't name the college, had a a person who was living in Ocala and was stalking, cyber stalking, and now threatening an employee's life out of state, I mean, across the entire country. And so he said, do you know anybody? And I was like, actually, I know two people. And it was because of networking at, at yeah. Fleet Proof. I mean, just to piggyback on what Ryan was saying, it, I mean, there's there's so many different levels that would hinder our investigation. 
but you know it's what's crucial is that just the basic cooperation you know whether it's hey you know what you guys may want to put a jam cam up it may help your chances of you know getting an idea on somebody because god knows i love using facial technology and if i can see you know a weakness somewhere i'll make a recommendation yeah, I understand money is sometimes uh, an issue when it comes to doing this stuff, particularly if it's a small mom and pop store. But, um, you know, just any time that, you know, we need something crucial in order to solve the crime and, and you're offering some type of res resistance, which, you know, to me, it's just I don't understand it because do you want do you want us to solve You reported this crime does. Do you want us to solve it for you? Because I love the fact that, you know, there's times that we can solve something pretty major within a matter of a couple of hours, if not even just a few phone calls. But if, you know, because of resistance and, and hey, I understand legal issues because you're following what your legal department does. And I'm not asking anybody to do anything illegal or to violate their policy. But, you know, not returning phone calls, not, you know, responding to emails. It's like once you make things become protracted, like we got to move, you know, that the rate cases are coming in. We got to move on to the next one. I can't sit around for six weeks for your video to come in from your store. You know, we, we got to move on. So, and like you said, you know, you got to strike while the iron's hot. And, uh, you know, the sooner the better when it comes to getting information. So, and by the way, I'm thinking I might have got those two guys' names because I lost them from you. But, um, <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, all right. So I want to thank both of you all for joining us today on Crime Science and, um, you know, public, private is mission critical. The tips and ideas you were just talking about. Look, hey, collect as much information as you can, especially uh, photographs um, and jam cams, which, of course, for those that don't know, I mean, a door jam cam, something that can get their face on the outbound journey. Um, and many of you know we're working on outside cams that will get their face if they're masked up inside, that will get them when they unmask within X amount of feet. So, but huge amount of tips. We really appreciate you guys everything you do all the time and then for coming on the crime science today. So thank you, Ryan. Thank you, um, Nick. And, uh, and for Tom, uh, for our producer, um, Kevin Tran, I want to thank everybody for listening to crime science. Thank you guys for having us. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thanks for listening to the crime science podcast presented by the loss prevention research council and sponsored by Bosch security. If you enjoyed today's episode, you can find more crime science episodes and valuable information at lpresearch.org. The content provided in the Crime Science Podcast is for informational purposes only and is not a substitute for legal, financial, or other advice. Views expressed by guests of the Crime Science Podcast are those of the authors and do not reflect the opinions or positions of the Health Prevention Research Council.